Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everyone. My name is Ben Smith, um, and welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. I'm joined by a couple of uh, my teammates here, Curtis Wister and Abby Duty, the uh, Bobby Orr and Ray Bork to my Brad Marchand. All right. How you guys doing? Like it. I'm doing well. <laughs> Excellent. Good. How are you, Ben? Good. Good. Well, um, you know, obviously we're we're doing things a little bit differently this session. Uh, we're we're still sheltering in place as uh, as the date of this recording. So we're we're getting um, kind of a little bit more comfortable with our skin of, of recording in our own homes and getting a podcast out that way. So appreciate everybody bearing with us as we work through some technical kinks there. But um, one of the things that we were we we've been uh, kind of talking about as a topic is, is again, we're, we're now episode 17, right? So what do you do when you're 17 uh, in terms of age is you start thinking about college, right? So that was, I think that was something that we were talking about for when we work with our clients in, in talking about retirement is they start talking about goals, right? And talk, start talking about legacy. And, And one of the things they talk about is, you know, in terms of their lives, one of the foundational moments or years of their lives was usually uh, higher education. Mm-hmm. And it was when they they found a love for a, a vocation. It was when maybe they found um, some meaningful relationships in terms of friends, maybe in terms of their spouses when they met them there. So there's lots of years, I think, that people go, you know, that's that's where I became who I am and who I who I want to be. And, and I want that to be given to either my kids or again, for, for the, for the folks we're working with generally is maybe the grandkids is they want to, you know, that, that gives them a feeling of peace so that, you know, Hey, if I'm getting closer towards uh, the later stages of retirement that, Hey, if, if I have money that can help, maybe that next or third generation going to that, uh, that same place. I think that would help me uh, give a little piece to myself as well. So I, that was, I think the, the conversation Abby and you and I in our meetings as well mm-hmm. kind of have is, is that that's feedback we hear pretty frequently. So mm-hmm. with that, we said, you know what, we, we kind of want to have a college expert that could come on and help us with that. So that was uh, uh, kind of us reaching out to Maria McDougall, who is our guest today. So Maria is a a famed college counselor. So FAME stands for Finance Authority of Maine. And again, Maria is kind of the kind of helping uh, college access, right? Is that correct? Yeah, college access counselor is the official title. Okay. So so that's the idea is how do we get people to say, hey, this is the goal. I want to help this generation have the opportunity to go. Not necessarily that they have to go there, but that was the conversation we wanted. So Maria, one of the things that we always like to do with any of our guests is to have them come on and just spend a few minutes just talking about your upbringing and and kind of how did you how did you fall into this as as your passion right and this is your job and this is something that you enjoy doing so would you mind just kind of setting the table for us there and and walking us through kind of that of upbringing to kind of where you were in terms of finding it to today sure and uh, thank you for having me on this is my first podcast and it's very fun Um, and this is a really important topic uh, in general and especially right now i was born and raised in maine I have lived here my whole life with the exception of a stint of one year private college in Massachusetts. And I grew up pretty low income. We were paycheck to paycheck kind of family. My parents were a little older when I was born. My mom was 42. My dad was 46. Um, And so different stages of life than my friend's parents. And so we struggled a lot. Um, But education was part of it. My mom was a teacher. She actually went to Farmington Teachers College, which became the University of Maine Farmington, Mm -hmm. where I ended up, long and winding roadway. Um, And so school, it was just always something we talked about, even though we knew it would be financially challenging. We were, that was always the conversation where you go to college, that's what you do and how important education is. And I was the like Hermione Granger of all my classes. Like, (laughs) I will answer any question. Um, I don't like silence. So which at the time I didn't see as valuable, and now I do. But I graduated from Everlittle High School, 
and had a great high school experience. Fortunately, uh, not an athlete, but certainly enjoyed uh, my time there doing lots of extracurriculars. And then I had this urge to kind of get out of Maine, as I think a lot of young folks do. And so I found a college in Massachusetts that I really liked that was small and liberal arts. And uh, I had a great time there, but it was expensive. I mean, really, Mm -hmm. that is what it came down to. And I knew even then that I didn't want to saddle myself with all of this debt. And actually, an experience I had in the financial aid office there kind of led me to where I am now. I like did a fi- my mom passed away when I was young. My dad was sort of out of touch with everything. And so I did my FAFSA by myself and did all the stuff. And I walked into the financial aid office for help. And I sort of got a, if you read the stuff we gave you, you would know. Answer. Mm. And I promised myself even that at 18 years old, that I would never treat students that way and people that needed help. So mm. I ended up transferring out of there and went to the University of Farmington, where I should have gone in the first place. And I did get into both in the beginning my mom's alma mater and a great little college town that I loved uh, and had a great experience there for a fraction of the cost. Uh, And I got a work study job in the financial aid office. Uh, No one wakes up in the morning and wants to be a financial aid counselor when they grow up. No one. (laughs) We all um, accidentally fall into it in one way or another. Uh, And it was a great experience. And I took the philosophy and my experience at the other college with me, even learning through as a student and being a peer advocate uh, and so when graduation rolled around, despite my English degree, there was a <laughs> position that opened up um, at the University of Southern Maine in the financial aid office there. Uh, and I needed a job right after college. And I thought, I'll just do this. And I know it. And it's the same system. And mm-hmm. it's a good higher education is a great industry to work in, um, in terms of benefits and flexibility and all of that. And then I blinked and almost 15 years have gone by and I've been <laughs> in the business still. And I just really love helping students and making sure that they know that like, hey, I did it and I have a master's degree now and I was a low income kid and it's really hard, but you can do it. And so I like being able to kind of pay that forward and um, help other people like me. It sounds like that's a really formative moment, right? Is to say, hey, I'm 18 and I'm trying to figure out student loans and financial aid myself. And here I am where I, I know there's a problem and I know I'm not alone in this problem and, and I don't get treated in a way that kind of makes me a feel good about my choices, but also help me feel good about, well, here's how I'm setting myself up for success and not failure at the end of the day. Right. And, yeah. and I, I think that's a common fear that you're hearing, not just from maybe the kids themselves that are, are going through this, but also the parents and maybe even oh, grandparents, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Is, is that this is something where, what I don't want to do is, hey, hey, they're getting into school. They chose something that they didn't really have any perspective of. And then now they're set up for failure for the next 20 years because of, of whatever permutation of that. So kudos to you on finding that is, you know, that's a, that's a tough thing to go, you know, what's, what's my calling, right? What's my right. purpose and yeah. where I'm in. So uh, kudos. That's, that's so. Obviously, you, you kind of, and Abby has a similar story too, right, is kind of leaving the state going, hey, I got to get the heck out of here, <laughs> right, because yes. Maine is small and, you know, all of that. Uh, Curtis and I are maybe more through and through Mainers here, but right. not leaving uh, for any period of time. <laughs> I came back. Good or bad. <laughs> yeah. So, Maria, what was it that kind of said, hey, I, I want to leave? Right. So what was what was that? And, and then what was the kind of calling back in terms of, well, I got to go back. And then also, why Maine still? Okay, great question. The, the drive to get out, I mean, without all the gory details, you know, my mom passed when I was younger. It was really hard. I had to grow up really fast. And I had been engrossed in this whole community. And I thought, this is my chance to go someplace else in a way that I hadn't had before. And I thought college was a great opportunity to do that. And it was like a college fair brochure and the campus was really beautiful. And I ended up really liking what I saw and spending a good year there. Financially, of course, it was much more expensive than Mm -hmm. an in-state public university. So that was probably the biggest call of like, oh, I knew kind of even then that I was going to be, and I'm a liberal arts kid. So I knew there wasn't necessarily huge earnings potential uh, in my field. And at the time I wanted to be a teacher. I thought I was going to be like a classroom teacher. So I knew that I was potentially setting myself up for a financial disaster. But also, you know, my dad was older and kind of under the weather and I didn't really like being so far away from him. So I think that was the the pull. Um, and just, you know, Maine has always been home and this is a great place to live. And now I can't imagine living any place else. I like traveling. I've been to a number of different states. I travel for conferences and for work and I enjoy 
visiting places, but this is where home is, mm. you know, it's vacation land. And those of us that get to live here get to have that all the time. So I can't imagine raising a family anyplace else. And just, I appreciate four distinct seasons because beautiful, warm, sunny days are much more, um, they feel I can appreciate them more after mm. a deep, dark winter. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially right now, right? As obviously this is yeah. April and yes. you know, you're starting to see some sun and some yeah. warmth and happening. green grass. Yeah, green grass is coming. So, yes. you know, this is uh, technically mud season, right? Is yes. I think I think yes. the fifth season is, is probably <laughs> happening right now. Yeah, but, and staying here, you know, now that I get to serve Mainers in this capacity and, and really have an impact, uh, I can't imagine. And Fame is a unique organization. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that next. But there's not a lot of other like we have sister organizations that do similar things. But the capacity we have to make real change in terms of college access and Financial literacy is huge, and mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine being able to do it anyplace else. And that, that's a really good segue, right? And one thing I wanted to talk about next was um, Finance Authority of Maine. I, I have a banking background originally. Yep. So um, in terms of my, uh, I think, gateway towards uh, Finance Authority of Maine or FAME yeah. was was really in terms of maybe the the business lending side mm-hmm. and what you're seeing with and then there's a, lots of programs there. Yeah. Could you just uh, for those that maybe are not aware of FAME or maybe just heard tangentially, can you just talk about the organization as a whole first? Yeah. And then kind of your division within FAME and how that how that works. Sure. So FAME is a quasi state agency that serves. Um, Mainers in sort of two facets. We work at the intersection of like business and economic development and education access. Mm-hmm. So the goal is to create good paying jobs for Mainers across the board. And we do that in kind of two ways by supporting main businesses through things like commercial loan insurance. And we have a number of state uh, lending programs that we administer. And then on the education side, which I'm much more familiar with, we do, you know, college access, right? That's my title. College access and financial education is our sort of wheelhouse. So we do, we really take into consideration FAFSA completion. We're doing all kinds of FAFSA events and really overviews of the financial aid process. Others that I work with have a similar background to me. We're started in financial aid offices and landed at FAME. We administer some state level, so like the main state grant program, a few, um, state level loans and education programs um, on that side. So it's kind of working to get people into college to then get them a good job and then supporting meters who are currently working. Can you, I think what I want to ask is more about your role, Maria, right? Okay. Is, is yeah. okay. In terms of maybe from the, maybe the consumer side here. So somebody says, Hey, I have college questions. Mm-hmm. Um, they would reach out to fame at that point. And either maybe through it, maybe an organization, maybe a, a public school, or or maybe just individually, would they reach out to somebody like yourself and say, "Hey, I have I have questions about accessing college. I don't even know where to begin. Like, how do you interact with that process? How do people uh, get in contact with you? And then what happens?" Yeah, that's a, a great question. So it kind of happens in a number of ways. We um, are primarily outreach. So we are there's college access counselors and two others like me, we split the state kind of in third. Uh, and we travel to high schools and we do financial aid nights, we call them. So an overview of the financial aid process, typically for juniors to sort of say, here's what you need to start thinking about. This mm-hmm. is kind of an overview. We do that for students and parents. So generally in the evening. Um, and then in October, when it's financial aid season, when the FAFSA becomes available, we do in-person help sessions all over the state. So we're kind of interacting with schools all over the state anyway. We also are at college fairs and career fairs and those kinds of things. But in terms of, you know, if someone's going to our website, so famemain.com, and they can get our email addresses or education at famemain.com, and they can sort of say, I need help. And we reach out and we say, how can we help? And we can cover everything from, you know, helping out with some admissions level stuff. We're really focusing on the the financial aspects, but certainly mm-hmm. most of us have been in the business long enough to assist but, and to know where to refer students for the, that kind of help. But we do one-on-one meetings with students and families on everything from filing the FAFSA to student loan repayments, uh, to looking for scholarships. So if, you know, if somebody reaches out and they get through, you know, triage through our education customer service, they might come to me or one of my colleagues and we we sort of say, what can we do? And there there hasn't been a presentation or a situation where we can't help or we don't know somebody who can. So we really, it's very um, hands-on. It's very 
high touch. I think we try to make sure that we answer all their questions. And sometimes that's just a one-off in one of those financial aid presentations. And sometimes it's one-to-one and I have families that I meet with all the time. Although we're, we're now virtual, right? <laughs> Where we are. Um, but you know, it's getting a coffee downtown and sitting in a coffee shop and making sure they've got their FAFSA done. So it, it looks different depending on what the needs of the student and family are. So as a, as a state agency too, right? And, and this is something where what we've had with some of our guests that are, I can think similarly positioned to you in, in their topic is I think there's a misnomer of, Hey, I, what, I don't know what I don't know. And if I contact Maria, mm. am I going to get a bill? Right. Mm. Am I going to get, uh, is there, you know, here's an expert that's spending time with me or meeting me at a coffee shop or whatever is happening. Then what is reasonable in terms of an ask to Maria? Cause I don't want to, I don't want to ask for too much, nor do I want to ask for something that all of a sudden I didn't realize there's a cost associated with that. So you can, can you talk about maybe that myth there in terms of uh, how people are interacting with you? Yeah, I will say everything we provide is free. So we are paid to do this. This, I can't, speak highly enough about this as an organization from someone who worked in higher ed and saw kind of one side of the table and but also a great industry to work in. But the fact that we can provide this level of support um, and sort of be Switzerland and say, let's talk about what's best for you financially and mm-hmm. not, and families, particularly Maine is largely low income, mm-hmm. almost, yeah. you know, the entire state is yeah. eligible on some level, right? And so, like in certain pockets, we have data on who's eligible. And so it's, I have families all the time, you know, send me an invoice or how much is this going to cost? And I get to say like, this is free. This is what I get paid to do. Uh, and so we have the ability to really reach a lot of people who might not otherwise be able to get that kind of support. And there are unfortunately or fortunately uh, other services out there that can help, but certainly many of them have a cost attached. Yeah. And right. so I think that they're just assuming that we also will uh, mm-hmm. and we don't. And so that's a really great, um, a great benefit. And so, you know, we, we will help to the extent that that student and family or individual has whatever they need to succeed. That's awesome. So, and, and I'll just ask a, a maybe another follow-up to that, Maria, in terms of the kind of the, the question there is, so obviously in terms of costs, that's a, that's a really great thing that, hey, if, if somebody needs access to it, that they can ask you, what if I'm having questions mm-hmm. and, or I'm looking for someone to assist me, should they A, start with you or start with fame first before maybe they go, I'm going to apply to Northern Maine Community College, or I'm going to University of Maine Farmington, or I'm going to Dartmouth, whatever, right? In terms of where should they start, I guess is my first question there is kind of, are you number one there? Is it, would they go to somewhere else and then rotate over to you next? Because one of the things that I'm, what I'm picking up is obviously as a, as an agency there, which again, your job is to promote access generally and not necessarily funnel people to, you know, a institution or, or a financial program that, that you use. So it would seem to me that that would be the first place I would start because of that is I want to not be kind of have my lens colored first. I'd want it to be, Hey, let's get really well uh, educated on what options and what the pros and cons are first before I then have that conversation with an admissions counselor or somebody like that is going to just sell me. And then I'm going to get sold into the program and then I fall in love. And, and once I fall in love, then that's where I go. So can you talk about that real quick? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not number one FA, so I I liked it. That made me chuckle. Um, No, they, you know, there's tons of information on our website. So a person could go to famine.com and get all kinds of information and not need to contact us. Um, We've set it up by sort of audience. So where are you in the process? What are you thinking about? Hmm. Um, Or are you a higher ed professional? So a lot of them, the guidance counselors are very familiar with us. And so their guidance counselor, if they're a high school student, might refer them to us to start with. But certainly they could contact, we have a customer service line via phone and email. So they could start there. And generally, and those folks are incredible. They know tons of FAFSA questions. They can help with college savings. They can answer a multitude of questions. And then sometimes it might be that they need to send it to the next level. Mm -hmm. Um, So they might refer to me or depending on where the student or family is, one of my colleagues particular to a certain region. But certainly our contact info is on the, on the website. So like any of your clients, you now know who I am, you can send them straight to me. And that's totally fine, too. Um, there isn't necessarily a hierarchy in that way. And sometimes it happens to be a one off, you know, I'm never not working as the joke. So like, I'll be at a, a restaurant 
back when you could do that and hear people talking about student loans. And I would waltz up with my business card, like, don't mean to interrupt, but I can help. Um, <laughs> this is not weird, I swear. <laughs> so, you know, it, it kind of happens in different ways, but it's, you know, if you get to the organization just on the web or through the phone or via email, you're going to get quality customer service and, and get the questions you need answered in multiple ways if, if need be. Okay. One thing I, I want, well, not, I think at this point in the podcast, what I wanted to rotate to Maria was in terms of this section are really this whole idea about leaving an educational legacy, right? Is that, you know, here's parents and grandparents and why do they helping their kids? And okay, it's just natural, I think, to want to help your kids, obviously, but the why, right, is, is the why. And I think that's what we've kind of identified is, is that educational legacy by assisting with college expenses. And so that's a stated goal that we hear a lot, but the how, right, is, mm. is the, in the what and, and how much. And all of that is, I think that's a big tangled ball to unravel with people. Yeah. And there's pros and cons to all that. So we wanted to spend a lot of our time today on this show was kind of working through that with you and just kind of picking all those things apart. So the first question I, I wanted to raise to you was in terms of the clients that we come across expressing that they want to assist their next generation with educational expenses, but it's from their assets, right? Is I have a 401k, I have retirement money, I have savings, right? I've worked my whole life to have this nest egg, little, big, whatever, and they want to help the next generation or next generations. Can you talk about kind of all the kind of post high school options of what that could entail? So again, sure. what, what I'm thinking there is in regards to if they were trying to help them, how could they help kind of go beyond high school? What's, what's the process there? Yeah, there's, you know, just the fact that folks want to leave this legacy is excellent. So the, the thing we always say um, at FAME is savings is the most important thing you can do to set yourself up for success in the post-secondary plan, no matter what that looks like. So there's, you know, we can, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about kind of different vehicles and ways to do that. But, you know, it's, it's going to depend on the particular student and family. So, you know, when we say college, we don't just mean four-year public or four-year private, right? It might be mm -hmm. an associate's degree or a certificate program or micro-credentials. You know, there's a goal through the MainSpark organization sort of coalition of 60% of Mainers need a credential of value by 2025. So we need about 158,000 more jobs to really keep the economy. And who knows what that looks like now, given where we are in this yeah. um, COVID world mm -hmm. that we're in and folks are losing jobs left and right. So some kind of credential of value is, is the phrase that we use to to talk to families. And so sometimes we say college and we have lots of communities in the state where it's just not a college going community. And so what we, when we say college, we don't necessarily mean expensive four year public or private. It can look like any kind of post-secondary degree program. And there's lots of different ways to do that. And you can do it in an affordable way. So if, if a person is able to only leave so much or delineate so much from their retirement, they don't have to feel like it's not enough because there's always a way to do it and it can supplement financial aid and anything is better than nothing. So even if you have just a couple hundred dollars set aside, you're more likely to persist and to start the process than if you have nothing. Mm. So the fact that there would be anything available at all would be is a great starting point. So you kind of touched on it, but the coronavirus and even before this came out, um, the future of jobs and income in Maine um, and how does education fit into that, right? So we've been hearing from some clients that was my college degree really worth it because I came out with so much debt and the job that I gained from that, I'm having a hard time paying it back. So is that a myth? And what are some of the pros and cons of, you know, attending a post-secondary education? Sure. One of the challenges is that we have the media that tells us all these like horror stories, right, about people in those mm -hmm. particular situations. And Absolutely. We talk about, and what's great about our organization is that we talk about making the plan, right? And so doing the research to make an affordable decision on the front end. So if I had had me mm -hmm. when I tried to go to that private school in the beginning, <laughs> I might not have made that decision because I would have looked at a little more financially globally and said, I don't think this can 
can work out. So we counsel on make use of something like a net price calculator, which all colleges are required to have that helps you calculate what the cost is going to look like year over year and planning for, okay, let's look at, let's compare these two financial aid offers and see what the bottom line is because it's not clear just by looking at that letter. So there, there's a myth that college isn't worth it because we're hearing all this stuff about people being settled with debt, but you have to sort of back it up a little bit and say, where did they decide to go? Did they have anything mm-hmm. saved? Did they apply for financial aid on time? So that's always my little soapbox and like the comments <laughs> articles <laughs> to be careful because um, I'm like, what's the whole story? Did they go someplace they could afford? Um, the reality is education matters. So you're, you can make a million dollars more over the course of your lifetime with a bachelor's degree than with just a high school diploma. So we keep checking that statistic. It keeps being true. Your earnings potential is greater with some kind of post-secondary education. And more and more jobs are requiring a bachelor's degree. Many are even starting at mm-hmm. like a master's degree required. Certainly now in this COVID world, there's going to be, I think, more flexibility and we mm-hmm. there's going to be a need for retraining and additional education. But it, it really comes down to having those affordability discussions early. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly, like, I have student loan debt from a bachelor's and a master's, but I have a, you know, both liberal arts degrees. And so people would say, an English degree, what are you going to do with that? And I would say, whatever I want, uh, because <laughs> I can communicate effectively. Um, but I think it just comes down to having those affordability conversations and, you know, doing the research. So there's lots of great ways to research starting salaries for certain fields, certain jobs, and identifying a baseline of where you might be looking and then, you know, utilizing financial aid as much as possible and looking for scholarships and those sorts of things. So return on investment is a conversation we have a lot and affordability and making sure that students are, and that's part of what we do. We want you to fire your fast on time so you get the most financial aid possible um, and really help you look for scholarships and all of that. So you kind of have to think about planning ahead is really the big, the big key. Um, and thinking long term, not just what's this first year going to cost me, but what are two or four years going to cost. Just to kind of follow up on Ab- Abby's question there and your statement, Maria, about you know the myth of college not being worth it and sort of debunking yeah. that. Is there any other just kind of generally speaking myths about going to college or and then, you know, going through the process of paying for college? Um, You know, and myth may not be the best way to approach it. Is there a way? um, Do you have any kind of key takeaways or just kind of tidbits that you feel people should know? Yeah, absolutely. Myth busting is like my favorite thing to do. Um, And I think largely because, you know, especially with social media, I have friends that share information and I'm like, you know what I do for a living? Please ask me before you share. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there's myths about, you know, that if you get so much in scholarships that you lose financial aid, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big one. And people say, oh, I heard if I have savings for college, that I'm not going to get as much financial aid. The the offset really you have to think about is it would have to be a significant amount of money to really devastatingly impact federal financial aid eligibility. And the trade-off is that for every dollar you have saved, it's one less dollar you potentially have to borrow and repay Mm -hmm. with interest. So we talk about that all the time. Um, in a situation where there's money received either via scholarships or savings or what have you, the financial aid office is always going to reduce loans first. They're always going to try to find ways to make it fit in. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure how that myth got started. Um, <laughs> there is an impact in financial aid, but it, it's nominal and income is really the bigger driver of financial aid eligibility at the federal level. Okay. So, you know, assets are protected a little bit differently. So that's a big myth. Um, I think that there are um, there are others that kind of float around and certainly scams also. Um, <laughs> people telling you you can do certain things or agencies that charge for the FAFSA, which the first app in FAFSA stands for free. So it's a free application. <laughs> um, so we're, we're constantly kind of battling that. And, and also, I think there's just a myth that debt is bad in general, right? And so we spend a lot of time saying, oh, yeah. a lot of people have student loan debt. And what you don't hear mm-hmm. is the, the success story. And that mm-hmm. for many families, that's a reality. I couldn't have gone to college without student loans. There was no mm-hmm. way that we would have been able to afford it. But it's not bad to have as long as you pay it back. The federal mm-hmm. loans have great repayment options. There's even forgiveness things built in, uh, flexible repayment plans. So I think we spend a lot of time, you know, we hear like the trillion dollar student debt crisis, but we can make it a little bit more micro and talk about it's yeah. not necessarily bad debt to have as long as you're able to pay it back. I think those are kind of the big, the big things that we hear that we have to kind of work to debunk. 
I'll um, actually, I'm, we're in videos as well. So I do want to share something with you in terms of a screen, but this yeah. is something where we use this quite a bit yeah. uh, for, this is from JP Morgan. Uh, they have the guide to the markets. So this is free. It's on JP Morgan's website. You can go to it and download it. It's updated every quarter. So yeah. obviously, so we're recording April, right? In 2020, and we just lost a ton of jobs, right? Five, yeah. five and a quarter mm-hmm. million jobs in the last month just got uh, let go. And so this is something where when we hear about the need for college, so there's two charts. And for those in the audio, I'm going to try to describe this to you. Uh, so <laughs> this is the, this is the podcast challenge, right? <laughs> podcast challenges describe financial charts. Yeah. Um, so unemployment rate by education level is the first one we're looking at. And this goes from 1992 until 2020. And everybody can see that, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So if you look at the the college or greater, so you've completed college and, or maybe you have an advanced uh, degree on top of it, you can see the uh, low rate of employment that basically even in the peak of the financial crisis, unemployment was around 5%. If you were less than a high school degree, you know, you can look at 92, the average unemployment rate is about 11%, where again, uh, college or greater was around 3%. And you can see the peak in terms of the financial crisis that unemployment went all the way up to 16%. And prior to this, uh, again, ending 2019, unemployment for less than a high school degree was right around 5.7%. So it, it's just something where, look, is uh, I think, and yes, it's in terms of jobs that we're trying to find a match to pay a job to your degree and making sure that those are good matches all the time. But also in terms of maybe security, right, is, hey, maybe not only just do I have a job, but am I more likely to keep that job? And by having transferable skills, and I know, Maria, obviously you started out as an English uh, uh, major, right? Yeah. And, and now you're in financial, which is yeah. the other brain. But yeah. you know that, that's something where you're able, because you're able to learn, right, is by yeah. having... You're, you're getting trained to learn and port skills over. And, and that was the other chart here that shows the average annual earnings by the highest degree it earned. And so a high school graduate, again, this is 2018 data. And this is uh, so a high school graduate would be earning right around, again, average would be a $39,000 uh, plus or minus. If you have a bachelor's degree, your average earnings is around 71000 And if you have a master's degree or advanced degree on top of that, your average earnings is $99,900 nationally. So just talk about the you know, $30,000 jumps on every level that you achieve. So yes, you're getting debt and you know, with those are probably, you know, we have different attitudes about debt. And uh, I think Abby and I have a conversation too. There's, there's, there's a healthy amount of debt and there's an unhealthy amount of debt. So Mm -hmm. figuring out that balance, but you know, this is something worth investing in. And I think that's from, from the listeners here and trying to figure that out. I think that's something where we were just trying to kind of explain is this is an investment, just like if you had a stock, if you had a bond, but I'm investing in a family member, a loved one, and this is what I want to see them achieve. I want to see them stability in their career, and I want to see them with higher earning potentials. Mm-hmm. Not saying they have to earn the highest amount, but I want to see them have potential to do that. Yeah. Right. And we actually have a version of this chart. It's uh, through the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and they put it out annually that basically measures the same thing. And so unemployment goes down as education goes up and earnings go up as education goes up. Right. So and that's been a trend no matter what the economy is doing in general. And mm-hmm. so I think, yeah, it's really looking at and that's the thing. I think doing the research and getting the numbers. Right. And my friends laugh. They're like, you work in financial aid and you have an English degree. You do numbers <laughs> all day. But I'm a big like graphs nerd. So, you know, putting together and just looking at it and saying, OK, it feels really scary and expensive and getting some debt now. But think about where you're going to be in 10 years with this kind of level of education and what is that going to look like and what doors is that open for you and it's not enough just to go right it's to complete so that some college no degree group is one that we're really trying to target and really trying to capture and my specialty area at fame is adult education so i'm working with a lot of adults who started and maybe never finished or never went for whatever reason uh and so i think it's really about that attainment right getting that earning that credential 
opens up the door. So yes, we say college access, but we also, the, the end game, right, is the, the credential attainment and what that does long-term uh, in terms of earnings potential and job security. Yeah. And, and I'll say too, in terms of Maria, again, with kind of our client base too, is we, we can actually, a lot of our clients are a lot of this, they, they're, they're first generational wealth is kind yeah. of how, so we almost call it like the blue collar wealth, uh, yeah. middle-class wealth, right? Is this, you know, they, they have scratched and they, they haven't been the highest earners, right? They've not made, you know, the, the six digit uh, numbers in terms of their salaries, but what they've been trained to do is they've been trained to save. Mm-hmm. They know how to save. And one of the things that they look at is they say, and you know, you hear this in different echoes, is that echoes from previous generations, look, I don't want my kids to work as I did, mm-hmm. right? I want them to work smarter. I want so that's that's something that they're they're looking to invest in. And for us, you know, one of the things we're trying to figure out is again, how do I stretch every dollar? of of their retirement what you know let's let's identify goals and make sure we're yeah. trying to hit every one of them we can so can we talk about you know we've kind of danced around the topic a little bit but let's talk about wanting to pay for kids and grandkids school yeah. so can we talk about that pros and cons of okay well i have a i have a seven-year-old and my parents okay. approached me with this too is they said you know hey we want to help and we want to help maybe give to uh your son or caden's 529 account yeah and we talk about, well, or what about maybe putting it in his name and just starting a savings account so at, edge, at age 18, he then has the money. So, oh, we have lots of pros and cons. What if you're giving a 18-year-old $30,000 in his name and we trust you to go to school with it? Congratulations. So yeah. I th- that's what we're trying to do. We want, we want to have that conversation with you about that pros and cons. So can you talk about, obviously, there's there's debt as something here, but yeah. there's also saving. You mentioned about every dollar you're saving is one less that you have to finance. So can you talk about that in, in the, these are the channels? Yeah, absolutely. And so... There's a couple of different things to consider here. The first is that it's important to know that family household income is the bigger driver. I think I mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get in the, the weeds a little bit, but the fact that <laughs> formula has something called asset protection allowance. So a family can have assets, but it's not going to, it doesn't drive the eligibility as much as income does. So, you know, we always say like, however you want to save is fine, right? We just want you to do it mm-hmm. because again, it offsets any borrowing. In terms of pros and cons, I think, you know, leaving a liquid savings account for a young a young person uh, that they have access to, maybe not. It would depend on the, the kid, I guess. I think what's great about 529s is they're for educational related expenses and they go directly to the school. And so if there is a concern about, you know, we say a lot like grand, it's a great way for grandparents to give gifts that they know are going to go to something valuable and aren't just going to get sort of blown on whatever. And they have earnings potential built in, right? And so I think it really depends on the conversation with the family, right? What, you know, trust level do we want the money to be used for anything, you know, related, you know, maybe they want to buy a car, maybe they want an apartment campus instead of living in the residence halls and, and what that looks like. But I think it's really about in terms of whose name it's going to be in, in general, most students don't have assets in their name. And what's great about the FAFSA is that if the parents at a certain income level, they're never going to ask about student assets or student income. And a lot of our main families kind of fall within that bucket. For our middle class families, their income is going to knock them out of financial aid eligibility, regardless of the amount of assets they have. So, in mm-hmm. a certain point, they're going to hit an. It's going to look at their income, and the student would only be eligible for a loan. So, those I think are the families that really need to focus on saving. So, it doesn't necessarily matter if it's in the student's name or the parent's name at that level, because they're not probably going to get any financial aid anyway. But I think in terms of planning and setting something up, you know, we have had students who have like trust set up in their name and it does have to be reported on the FAFSA, but again, weighted differently than, than income, which is again, a larger driver. So you could have a family that is below a certain income threshold and just was one of these really good families at saving. So they Mm -hmm. might have a nice nest egg tucked away in a 529 or a Roth or something like that. And the FAFSA will never ask because Hmm. their income is such a certain level, right? If you've got a really savvy person. So what's great about the federal formula is that it takes into consideration income and asset protection allowances um, and uses income as the main driver. Um, And there is no, I mean, there are cons to saving for college in that. So if a 529 is in a student's name, the withdrawals that they take out are counted 
as in, you know, it would be have to be reported on yeah. next year's FAFSA and all of that. Mm-hmm. But we have ways to help families navigate what that looks like in terms of reporting and all of that. But again, they're using like free money versus borrowing and repaying, right? So you have to examine that trade-off in terms of long-term impact. And Maria, can I uh, jump in, in in a different angle here? And yeah. we hear we hear this a different way. Is that so? There is a concern about saving yeah. because they don't want to oversave, mm. and then go. Well, what if my child? So I'm saving, and he's three. He's mm-hmm. he's got you know he's got uh, the Herald Alf on Grant and the five twenty nine, and that's yeah. going. And I don't know. You know I, I don't even know what their aptitude is, what their attitudes are towards it. I really won't know probably until the day they decided maybe 16, 17 or 18. So in terms of oversaving, that's a concern that we hear from a parent and grandparent perspective of, geez, what if I gave money to something that now, what if they don't use it? And have I now not, again, highest and best use of dollars, right? Highest and best use of savings. Have I now given away something that... If I know, if I know what I know now, that that's probably wouldn't how I have, I would have done it. And Mm -hmm. now they're not going to go to school or they're not going to be used that way. What would you tell that, that concern? Say it would depend on the vehicle in which they were saving, right? So, from a 529 perspective, you know, those can be rolled over to other beneficiaries, other siblings, other grandchildren. So, we have a number of families like, well, we save for the oldest and he's going to the Peace Corps or whatever. Um, and so, but again, it would be a matter of, you know, and at, at those at that level, you know, the funds can be used for non educational expenses, it's just different tax implications, right? So, it's really I would rather, I would say that family, you know, I'd rather have you saving than not. And, and you know, over saving, I don't think is a way I've heard it phrased before. Um, but I, I hear I hear where you're coming from yep. in terms of like, what if I put away all this money and nothing happens to it, right? Um, and so I think that, that the fact that a young child, you know, three, four, seven, eight, knows that they have this availability to go to college, I think makes them more likely to go. And there's data to show that, right? So then it becomes a conversation. Grammy and Grampy yeah. put money in your college account. They're gonna that's gonna be a, a running theme so that they're gonna know that they have that there, they're more likely to go. So interesting. That's a good um, point. that is I think one of the things we talk about a lot because young families sort of say that it's uncertain. We don't know what it's gonna cost. What's college gonna look like when they get there? There's a lot of questions we could speculate, we don't have the answers for, but I'd rather have you saving than not. Um, and looking at and then building that college going identity and that college going culture and saying, okay, this is the, as a family, we're committed to making this a reality for you. And you can sort of cross the do you or don't you bridge when you get there. And who knows what it's going to look like when those kids, you know, I step one up for my niece, she's four, she's going to Harvard, I know it. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, we don't know what that's going to look like when she goes to school, you know, in the future. But we just all want to make sure that she can get there, right? So it's a matter of just building the conversation, I think, and and reassuring them that it's it's never a bad thing to save, and there's ways to to do something or to you know maybe it becomes donated then you know if it's in a it's in a savings account or like more liquid that sort of thing it would you know logistically would depend on what kind of account but it, they're more likely to to go if they know that they have money set aside and, and I'll say too Maria obviously that's something where we help our clients with that and in terms of trying to figure out those pros and cons of of account by account and and right. one of the things we find with the five twenty nine plan too right is in terms of you taking the money out and it's not used for educational purposes. We have our blog post, uh, uh-huh. which has this podcast. We'll put a yeah. resource there okay. um, yeah. that, that we can link to that, that folks can, if they have a question about what if I've overfunded and they want to sure. just take it out for non-educational purposes, yeah. what happens? Uh-huh. Yeah, we can, I can certainly make sure you have the link to um, the website to, to get all that information and what the ins and outs look like and what is an educational related expense and all of that. Perfect. Um, so to kind of go off what you were just talking about, um, forecasting costs in the future. So um, if you are a grandparent and you're saving for your grandkids college, how can you forecast how much you should be saving? I mean, college expenses are going up year over year. Um, is there a formula that you guys have or some way of, of getting that magic number? It's 
it's interesting because there really isn't a magic number, right? So it's going to depend <laughs> on what kind of institution they would be going towards. So is it a community, you know, are they just somebody that's going to get a certificate in or an associate's in a trade? Um, a community college program is much less expensive than a four-year college. So I would say in terms of forecasting, you know, the tool I mentioned in the beginning about the net price calculator is kind of a great way to assess an out-of-pocket cost for one year at a particular college. And so it might be a little research, pull a number of schools together, do a couple of calculators, multiply by four, and a percentage increase of, you know, four to five percent, let's mm -hmm. call it, um, every year. And that might give you a ballpark figure. Um, who knows post-COVID what, yeah. what college is even going to look like or yeah. who's going to get charged for what? Um, yep. Or, you know, are brick and mortar schools even still going to be a thing? I mean, who knows? <laughs> um, I know. So it's, it's tricky. And it's a thing that I think there isn't like you should save, you know, $50,000 or you should save mm -hmm. X thousand um, dollars. There isn't a great because um, right, 50000 might be much more than that student needs mm -hmm. um, if they are someone that's just going to community college to start with or that sort of thing. I mean, I'm always about save as much as possible anyway. But in terms of forecasting the cost of education, it's really going to be, you know, doing a little research, taking a, a sampling of schools, doing some of the cost research based on, a, you know, public, private, you know, regional, if it's Maine specific, we're, mm -hmm. we're very fortunate. Our community college system is very affordable, university, university Maine system as well. Um, we, you know, we've got Batesville and Colby, we've got great schools here. So if, and we want students to stay here and study here um, and to be here. So, you know, it, it's a matter of doing the research of what those costs are like and then kind of figuring out, you know, if they finish in four years, which we hope that they will, um, what that might look like. And maybe they'll overshoot or maybe they'll undershoot, but at least they'll have kind of a starting point. Mm -hmm. Maria, I have two more questions and Curtis okay. will give the wrap up question after that. But okay. I, so the first question I want to ask you is, again, from uh, one of the stressors we see with our clients is they kind of view themselves as a sandwich generation mm -hmm. is that especially early retirement, they're looking at, hey, um, my parent is in their 80s, their 90s. And, you know, mom or dad's moving in with me or I got to go check in on them. I got to take care of them. Yeah. But uh, and this happened with with my family is um, my parents and my in-laws were taking care of my uh, newborn and infant uh, son when when uh, we were my wife and I were working. Right. So here. So that actually happened. My dad was a retired teacher uh, from Bangor High School. Go Rams. And, uh, you know, he, and so he was taking care of his. 94 to 99 year old grand, uh, his father at that point. And my wow. son who was three months uh, old all the way till three and a half or four. So, you know, here he is, he's kind of tackling both of those. And, and for those that say for a financial goal, Hey, I, I want to help, but man, I'm stressed, right? As I, I feel an obligation to help my parent or parents, mm -hmm. but I also feel an obligation to help the next generation, right? So yeah. they're just, being kind of pulled apart with how do I allocate my time? How do I allocate my resources? All of that. Um, so in terms of one thing you said earlier in the, in this episode was look, everything you save is, is a good thing, right? So even if you said, look, I know I got to help dad with uh, assisted living costs and that's something I got to do. Even if you said, look, it's a 99 to one split to parent to, you know, grandson or child, that, that one is still meaningful because of all those things you just said, right? Is having money in that bank will spur them to know that this is a priority. But how would you, how would you kind of tackle this issue with, you know, someone sitting in front of you and saying, I'm trying to do both. How do you help them with that? Or yeah. how have you helped them with that? And that, that happens pretty frequently in, you know, slightly younger families where we have, you know, they're taking care of their college age student who's ready to go off. And maybe they're aging parent and they're, they're wrestling with saving for retirement or saving for college. Right. And they're like, and how do I, do both? Too, yes. I don't have the, mm -hmm. the wherewithal to spread myself that thin. Um, and where does the priority lie? Because we don't want them to certainly have nothing to retire on. Right. right. Um, and they, they feel very obligated as parents to, to provide or grandparents even to provide for the next generation. So, you know, again, it's, it's what you mentioned. It's every little bit makes a difference. Um, and certainly whether it's parent or grandparent, we just stress about applying for financial aid and make, you know, encouraging them to get all the information, to apply on time, to make sure that 
they're getting scholarships. I mean, that's the first and best way to maximize eligibility. So there are time limits. You know, every school has a deadline. And if you miss the deadline, you can miss out on money. And so I think it's really just, you know, we can say like the burden doesn't necessarily have to be all on you to save all the money for their education, right? So we would have the conversation of every little bit helps, even if you have enough that they can buy books every semester and that's what you can save. That's great. That's Mm -hmm. one less expense they have to worry about. And then, you know, helping them maximize their financial aid, encouraging them to apply for scholarships. You know, a lot of scholarships ask for, like, write a great letter about yourself. That's really hard to do. 18-year-olds have a hard time bragging about themselves, surprisingly. (laughs) But, you know, we'll say, like, have your grandma write about you. Like, they love talking about you. You know, and so I think that there's ways that they can assist uh, without necessarily feeling for, you know, the heavy financial aspects of it and feeling like they have to wrestle that line. Um, so there's other sort of supportive ways that they can do that. But, you know, maybe it's okay, we can we can help you buy your books or we can stay for one year of college. And then, you know, you'll have to do it on your own moving forward. Uh, it's really going to depend again on the, the family circumstances and kind of where their priorities lie. But we do hear that pretty commonly. Do I save for college? Do I save for retirement? And what does that look like? And I think that there's a, you know, they have a target retirement amount in, in mind and they think they want to save for as much of college as possible. And that's mm-hmm. great. And if they're able to, that's wonderful. But financial aid exists for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. And we would also reiterate the point that like debt's not necessarily bad as long as they're borrowing responsibly and are, you know, earning that credential to be able to pay it back and really trying to assuage that worry. We hear a lot like, I don't want my kids to borrow anything. I don't want them to have any right. debt. And in a perfect world, that would be great. <laughs> right. I think we would all prefer that. Yeah. Um, but the reality is most families have debt. And and again, it's not necessarily bad as long as you're paying it back and not defaulting and those kinds of things. So it's, it's really about having those conversations, looking at the bigger picture, not just like what is that amount in the bank account um, and how much can it go towards college, but really making sure that they've got that college going identity that they, they recognize as important and that, you know, the financial aid process exists and that they should be looking for scholarships and, and working really hard and, and getting the credential to be able to, to get a good paying job. Okay. I want to ask, um, actually, I, I kind of thought of another one as you're talking there too. Um, <laughs> sorry to keep you going on that. But one of the, one of the things I'm, I'm just thinking about too is look, obviously we just talked about a lot of people just laid off, right? And yeah. it doesn't matter what age you are. And there's, there's a lot of people that we talk to and you kind of talked about, hey, I'm an, I was an English major who ended up into financial aid and yeah. math. Uh, we kind of find ourselves, we were the math nerds that then uh, end up into coaching, yeah. right? So it's yeah. like we ended up into the psychology. So yeah. there, we all have to use lots of different things in our jobs, but in these times, you know, we have people come to us and say, hey, I did just get laid off, right? And we start talking about life purpose and what drives you and what and what's one thing that you always wanted to do that you never got to do or what what's one thing that really gives you purpose and accomplishment? Maybe it's when you retire, but maybe it's now that I'm in my 50s and I've been let go of my position. And this is a great time to be introspective. And on top of that, interest rates have continued to come down quite a bit. So if you're thinking about, you know, silver linings and try to make the lemonade lemon lemon yeah. uh, argument there. Maybe this is a good time to be investing yourself in education. Mm-hmm. And again, doesn't mean I didn't get that college degree. I should go get it. And I should take four years to go do that. Maybe it's right. a certificate. Maybe it's, I always, and I overuse this, maybe I always want to be a welder or use or be a carpenter and always yeah. want to do something with my hands. Can I go to a trade school and go learn that thing? And if you fast forward maybe 12 or 18 months right now where I don't get my original job or vocation back, and now I start looking at and expanding my options and opportunities that someone would go do that. So what I want to just zoom you out, Maria, is a little bit of, I'm not 18 and in this situation, I'm going to school after, right after high school, is I'm in transition in careers and I'm thinking about education as an opportunity. How would they engage with you and how would they kind of refocus to figure out, all right, this is the goal, what schools are available to me, and then how do I afford it, whether it be, again, savings or debt? Yeah, that's great. And that's a lot of what I do as, you know, sort of the adult ed specialist in my field. So I'm working with the adult ed centers in Maine, and it's a lots of those folks that are in transition, right, um, and re-credentialing out of necessity or desire, right? And so I remember at the Barclay Center in Wilton that went out of business, um, mm-hmm. I want to say last March, they were doing a resource fair as things were winding down, mm-hmm. and we were there at a table there to sort of talk about, okay, maybe this is a great time to go back to school, right? And I had a number of folks at the table and say, well, I've always wanted to finish that degree, Mm -hmm. or, you know, I never thought I had the time, and now I've got the time. Uh, And so I think that's a pretty common thing uh, that we hear, and especially I think we will definitely now post-COVID. We were just talking about that at a staff 
meeting, like I think, you know, there's going to be an uptick in retraining and recertification because there's going to be a need for that. And so same way they can get to us, you know, me directly through the website, you know, adult ed centers in the state are incredible. They're a great starting point for, you know, if you need to brush up on study skills or math or reading, um, particularly for English language learners, you know, adult ed does amazing things for our um, our new Mainer populations in terms of getting them ready to to get on to the next level. So, you know, they can they can get that through that way or certainly just directly through us. And so generally that person, you know, as an adult learner uh, would fall in my wheelhouse and, you know, same kind of conversation. We sit down and we say, here's the, you know, what are you thinking about? What's your goal? Like, what's the dream school? Or do you have, did you already start some college and you want to continue what you were doing or transition it to something different? And then we just look at the best program in terms of what they want to do. You know, is it, do they start the community college or maybe they have enough credits that they they could go right into one of the University of Maine schools, uh, depending on what they want to do. So it's a similar conversation, except adult students have all these other things going on, right? So they have families and mortgages or rent uh, mm-hmm. and juggling all that stuff. And so it's you kind of have to think about holistically making a little bit more of a firm plan, right? So the financial implications, uh, you know, same thing. They can qualify for financial aid. If they don't have a bachelor's degree and they're eligible for federal Pell Grant, they can get that no matter if they're 18 or 50, right? Um, it's really about their income and what what program they're looking to enter. So a similar conversation, scholarships, you know, funding from, you know, personal savings if, if they've got that, but really managing, like, maybe they go part-time instead of full-time because they've got a family and they can't go full-time, yeah. um, those sorts of things. So we do a lot with working with adult students in terms of, you know, getting their financial life in order. You know, the other aspect of what we do at FAME is financial literacy. Like we talk about budgeting, saving, Mm -hmm. planning, all of that. So we sort of, the conversation with those students tends to be a little bit more financially focused in terms of where are you at? You know, do you have a budget in place? What is that going to look like when you're adding tuition costs and and books and all of those Mm -hmm. pieces? Uh, So the conversation is slightly different, but the opportunities are much the same. So you know, depending on what they want to do, we could help them identify the right institution. A lot of them have it in mind already. They're like, okay, I'm going to go here because I did the research. I just need you to help me figure out how I'm going to pay for it. Um, and so we have the same kind of financial aid conversations in terms of scholarships and applying for aid. And they might not have saved anything for themselves um, for school, which is pretty common. If they have children, they're saving for their yeah. kids, but they're not necessarily saving for themselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's not generally a lot to pull from in that aspect, but you know, there's lots of scholarship opportunities for adults in the state. And we just did a webinar um, for financial aid offices about sort of best practices for helping adults through the process. Um, and so we're we're always thinking about this transition. And now more than ever, we're going to need to really think about, I think, what will be an influx of, you know, e- either people starting for the very first time or picking up where they left off or changing careers entirely. Yeah. So I'm going to change it up on you, Maria. So. Okay. This kind of last wrap-up question we like to do with everyone. So obviously the name of the podcast is Retirement Success in Maine. We're going to kind of put you on the spot here. Um, What is your personal definition of retirement success or what do you see being a successful retirement for you? Good question. I am somebody who likes to work, so I probably will want to continue to work, but I don't want to have to. So success for me is like getting to do something that I want to do and Mm -hmm. and continuing, you know, there's a program in Maine where retired financial aid folks go into schools and help families do fastest. So they're like an annex of us. I'm like, I'll do that. That'll be me. (laughs) Um, I'll be like 75 and helping people fastest or whatever the application is at that time. Um, But I don't want to have to, right. And I want to be able to travel and, you know, my parents didn't have anything set aside for retirement. They were, my, my mom passed when I was little, she was a teacher and didn't have a lot saved. And my dad was blue collar paycheck to paycheck. So uh, it's important to me to be able to have a retirement and to leave a legacy for my family and to donate to, you know, organizations that are, I want to leave enough to create a scholarship fund. Um, That's my other big goal is, is in this job, I get to identify gaps, you know, in terms of emergency funding and particularly for adults and making sure that they can access money to fix their car. Um, when the car breaks down and they can't get to class, right? And mm-hmm. identifying some of those those gaps. And so my my end game, I always said, if I ever won the lottery um, or had enough at the end of reti- at the end of my life, that I would put you know a fund together for for that specific you know pathway to education. That's really awesome. 
Nice. Well, Maria, thank you for, for being on the show today. It's, um, first of all, it's a treat to have you on because we get, we get these questions a lot and, and to have somebody, um, of your stature to come in in terms of give us expertise, have a conversation with us, kind of address these specific issues that our clients are facing. It's been extremely valuable. And I know going forward, even outside of uh, 2020, it will be really useful. So appreciate you doing that for us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. And I hope that it was uh, helpful and feel free again to send people directly to me that's that's what i'm here for i'm happy to help clients no matter what um what part of the process they're in awesome well thanks so much thank you so really good conversation with Maria McDougal today from uh, Finance Authority of Maine. Again, having having somebody on that's a college access counselor, right? Is It's not just kind of the, the financial end, but there's so many things that kind of are a part of this whole conversation about getting someone to choose post high school options. How do you make them work with it? But again, our perspective, again, retirement success in Maine, mm-hmm. here you are as pre-retiree or retiree thinking about my money and how do I, how do I help my family mm-hmm. and how do I help my legacy of of uh of kind of helping my family continue going forward so again with all these wrap-ups what we like to do is is really just kind of give some things that we we enjoyed from the conversation yeah. um Abby you don't want to start with uh with something you took away from our conversation with Maria yeah absolutely um so one thing I found very interesting when we were talking about the sandwich generation and how to save for both college and retirement um she brought up a really good point that you know helping a kid through college isn't necessarily always financial, right? So you Mm -hmm. can maybe buy their books for a semester, or maybe you can help them write an essay, or maybe you can say, I can pay for one year and you're on your own for the rest. But that support in general is really helpful, not necessarily just from a full full financial perspective. So I found mm-hmm. that reassuring because a lot of people get caught up in, oh, I don't have enough for college savings. I don't have enough to help out my kid or grandkid. Um, and you can help in other ways than, than just paying for the whole thing. Yeah. And, and Curtis and I were in a meeting with a, with a client the other day. And one of the things they said they did was, okay, it's, it, it is financial and it isn't, mm-hmm. was they actually had their grandchild move in with them yep. during yeah. the college years yep. is that they were, the, the parents were, were not near the college, but the grandparents were. Right. And they said, mm-hmm. Hey, come move with me, save some money. We'd love to have you. We won't infringe on your lifestyle. We know it's the college years. Oh, they, and it, this is like the fourth year, right, Curtis? Yeah, like, he was getting was ready to finish up, I think. And they're like, this has been the best years of our life. We've, <laughs> yeah. we, like, we go to dinner together and uh, we've just had a deeper and better relationship with our grandson that we've ever had. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of like that. Yeah. I know we didn't kind of talk about that in the podcast, but man, that was that's something that was, you know, is it financial? Yes, um, in a way, but uh, maybe it's more of that they were, that they were saving money in terms of uh, not kind of taking money from their savings to spend for them to live somewhere else. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Curtis, uh, for you, was there, was there something that you took away from, from that conversation? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it came up when we were talking about, I think the idea, uh, that we hear a lot or the fear of sort of oversaving or overfunding, uh, for college. And it's, you know, is this money? What if the grandchild or my child decides that they don't want to go to college? Um, and Maria provided a, a pretty cool little insight there. She talked about, you know, making it part of the conversation or making college uh, part of the the picture, um, I guess, from a young age, it's, you know, you can go up to the grandchild and say, hey, you know, Grammy and Grampy, we just put $20 in your college fund, um, you know, continuing to, to keep college a part of the plan so that as the child ages and gets closer to those decision points, um, it's something that's always been, you know, normalized and talked about and, and feels attainable. So I thought that was really cool to, you know, they kind of speak it into existence at, at that point. Yeah. And it's also tying the thing of, you know, again, my, my son, even in preschool, they're like, what are you going to be when you grow up? Right. Is mm-hmm. I'm going to be a police officer. I'm going to be a firefighter. I'm going to be, you know, on Paw Patrol, right. Whatever. <laughs> right. So, but w- Okay, the how, right? The how is important. Okay, well, you know, if you want to be a police officer, we actually have a savings account where we're putting money in so that if Mm -hmm. you do want to be that, you know, that we can make that happen, right? So it's kind of, it creates a culture all the time. And one of the things I personally learned from Mary Taylor, who was our guest on our previous episode from Literacy Volunteers, Mm -hmm. is that kids strive for the educational attainment level of their mother. So, so that, you know, it, it basically, uh, how the, how the kind of mother attained education, whether it be high school, some high school, some college, all college or, or a higher degree, 
that the the child will will look towards that. And so it's all this patterning, right? Is it's culture and patterning and all mm-hmm. of those things are important. So even talking a savings account into what is the purpose of it? Why are we doing it? Yeah. So that you can have and this is why those those things are important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just especially where there's a lot of generations in Maine that have never gone to college. Right. And and a lot of our clients, again, those first generations, you know, here the I didn't finish college or high yeah. school. I did or mm-hmm. I finished just high school or right. I, I I I tried college and it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Well, those are parts of lots of stories. So it's tough to then go, hey, for my kid, I do want them to do that, even though I was not able. Right. So I think those are those are all important things. For myself, again, what what I kind of liked again was that whole every dollar saved conversation again. And I yeah. know we, all of us have kind of touched on that. So we hear a lot of, well, what if I want to only, what if I, I can only afford $20 um, a quarter into a 529 account, right? Is that even worth it? Should I even do it? Right. It just feels like 20 bucks. Like, is that even in, and, and there's other things going on. There could be a match. There could be other stuff happening there, but um, you know, that every 20, every dollar you put in is a dollar they don't have to borrow. And, and that, that prevents uh, kind of this avalanche of more, more interest that you have to pay on it. So yeah. every, even if it's a 99 to one split, those are, those are pretty important things to have there. Yeah. Um, so I got, for me, that was, that was important. And again, as a parent myself and trying to save for, for college, for my little one, uh, that's, uh, that's good reinforcement there. That's too, right. So I appreciate her saying that. Well, so that wraps up our episode for retirement success in Maine. I appreciate everybody tuning in mm. again. We're doing a little added uh, wrinkle here with video going on. Um, so appreciate it. You, you may see the, the, segments of this video happening uh, across social media and other areas too. So make sure to tune into that. But this is episode 17. So if you go to blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash 17, again, yep. think of 17 when you're thinking of getting ready for college <laughs> and you can go to the website, find more resources. Again, Marie is going to give us a lot more resources here that uh, will help uh, if you want to do more research and, and figure more of this out on your own. Again, reach out to us. We'd love to have those conversations. Uh, we'll have Maria and her contact information there on the website. But until next time, I appreciate everybody tuning in and we'll see you then. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisor's mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.